0: Hemsoth, co-founder and co-editor, and your host for today's episode, which will focus on some of the quantum computing developments happening at Oak Ridge National Lab's Quantum Computing Institute. Our guest today is Dr. Travis Humble. He is a distinguished scientist at the lab and director of the Institute. His research focuses on design, development, and benchmarking of new quantum platforms. As director, he oversees research and development of quantum computing technologies. We'll talk about some of those today. Hi, and welcome, Travis. Oh, hi, Nicole. Thanks for being here today.
1: Oh, thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to talk with you.
0: So there are a few quantum computing efforts we follow pretty closely from D-Wave and IBM and Rigetti. Um, they're solving some of the real world challenges for quantum computing. But what are some of the outstanding research questions that you're working on? And how do those relate to what's happening in sort of the, the wider world of commercial quantum computers?
1: As a national laboratory, Oak Ridge is very interested in the ongoing developments with the uh, quantum computing vendors. Uh, The ones that you mentioned, for example, have very interesting platforms. We're trying to understand how we can actually take advantage of those. Our mission at Oak Ridge is largely on scientific discovery. Of course, we have some of the uh, uh, largest high-performance computing systems in the world, and the emergence of these quantum computing um, processors actually raises questions about how we can try to integrate those into the high performance computing systems.
0: Right, uh, you and I have talked in the past about um, the relationship between traditional supercomputers and quantum computing as as an accelerator for HPC, and it, it's not a, a simple thing, right? It's not like a, a very easy offload model like we might have with GPUs, for instance, right? Let's talk about what, what's involved with integrating quantum into, into larger uh, supercomputing workflows.
1: Oh, yeah, that's an excellent point. So... Uh, Quantum processing units certainly are, um, at least in theory, very capable of of solving select problems. Uh, There are clearly quantum algorithms out there, especially in the physical sciences where we know there's a direct application from the uh, problem space, say uh, computational chemistry, material science, nuclear physics, into a quantum algorithm. The ability to run those types of problems on quantum processors would open up a whole new avenue of scientific discovery. The challenge, though, is that at Oak Ridge, most of the work that we're doing currently has already developed uh, large-scale quantum computing or large-scale computing codes that we want to be able to take advantage of in the future. The integration of these new types of processors with those uh, existing computational codes is a fairly significant problem. At Oak Ridge, we're actually looking at that integration, trying to develop some infrastructure that we can use in order to migrate from existing conventional computing platforms into quantum computing platforms. One of the key products that we're developing right now is actually a OpenCL-like directive-based framework called XACC. This treats the quantum processor as if it were an accelerator. The same way that we've modified existing codes to take advantage of GPUs, we're imagining there may be possibilities to take advantage of QPUs. Of course, that's a difficult problem, there's a lot of interface issues in terms of what is the language that needs to be developed to program the QPU, how do latencies and interaction issues affect performance, and these are all the types of uh, performance um, questions that we're investigating here at Oak Ridge. Mm -hmm.
0: And by uh, QPU, you're you're meaning sort of a generalized generic uh, accelerator to build this model around basically. You, you haven't settled on one quantum architecture, right, as, as, a, as a winner.
1: <laughs> oh no, that's a great uh-huh. point. The, the field right now in terms of quantum hardware is very young. There's a lot of advance that's obviously happened in the past and clearly going to happen in the future. We are investigating the aspects of QPUs, and I use that term generically, We have to evaluate the current hardware that's available, so, of course, the vendors that are out there, uh, we're getting access to their systems, doing some early analysis in terms of performance, but in the long term, what actually becomes a QPU may look very different from the type of system we have today.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it, in your experience evaluating even, even remotely some of these devices, and I, I know you guys have great access to, to some of these uh, devices, what differences are you seeing between the gate versus annealing models of quantum computing when it comes to actually practically one day implementing these as supercomputing accelerators, say?
1: Oh, absolutely. So there are clear differences between the, the gate model and the adiabatic model, but mostly in terms of how we currently would make use of those. Uh, for example, uh, D-Wave has developed a special purpose uh, quantum processing unit that is developed using a uh, adiabatic model of computation. The benefit of the special purpose unit is that it actually is tailored to optimization problems. So if I have a special purpose QPU designed as part of my hybrid system, then I have restricted the, the ways in which I can use that QPU to focus on optimization use cases. That's an excellent guidepost in terms of the algorithm developer knowing what the target uh, needs to look like. On the flip side, the the gate-based models right now are largely focused on universal processors, uh, general purpose devices that could potentially implement uh, an arbitrary algorithm. The benefit there is that you can tailor the code to make the best use of the processor, but the, uh, the challenge is that you have to figure that out along the way. We currently are still gathering experience on how to best use those processors. And so from a performance perspective, this is really about figuring out what's the best scenario to make use of these different chips.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, these, these things all sound very early stage. I mean, despite all the hard work you guys are putting in, every part of this is difficult right now, right? From developing sort of an abstraction, to be able to to talk to a quantum device, to the devices themselves and figure out what's the winner. Um, What sorts of things can you standardize on now or be sure of right now when it comes to quantum, if anything?
1: Oh, one of the biggest challenges at the moment is even having a reference model for what we imagine the future system might look like. Uh, the current accelerator-based architectures that, the, uh, that, uh, for example, Titan Supercomputer and the upcoming Summit Supercomputer are based on, those provide uh, abstract machine models that we can make use of. The difficulty then becomes, what are the interfaces, the programming languages, the compilers, the infrastructure that users are going to require in order to make use of those machines when they come online sometime in the future? And then, of course, there's the third problem, which is who's actually going to take advantage of those machines. And this comes down to who has the, um, the skill, the expertise, to actually program a quantum algorithm in a quantum domain-specific language to target a quantum hardware model. That's not a uh, clear pipeline yet where those people come from. It's currently, I would say, an important workforce issue in terms of the quantum computing community. And so on, I see the next several years being largely focused on developing that workforce even though the hardware isn't here yet for, let's say, full-scale quantum computing, we clearly need to start getting the people ready for when it is.
0: Mm-hmm. And and at least early stage here, who are some of those people? Is it generally physicists, uh, quantum physicists, that seem most inclined and skilled to tackle some of these problems? Is it is it maybe uh, certain people within some of the domain uh, scientists community? For instance, if, if quantum chemistry is a big um, opportunity for quantum computers is that where people might come from what what does it look like
1: yeah so i think from my perspective there's a clear mixture of the type of expertise that we need at the moment and no one area has it all Uh, certainly physicists have a very good understanding of the hardware model uh, quantum physicists in particular but they also have a clear focus on the the low level uh, device behavior and so the translation up to larger um, Uh, algorithmic concepts actually tends to be a select set of mathematicians and computer scientists. And then of course they may not have the uh, domain-specific background that a uh, quantum chemist or a nuclear physicist might have. So at the moment at Oak Ridge we largely focus on bringing together these different communities, uh, trying to get them to talk to each other, trying to get them to at least uh, speak in languages that they can all understand. the, the long-term goal there is to figure out what are the the languages, the interfaces that these people need to have in place in order for them to be able to communicate. I can certainly envision a future where there's a, uh, a team of uh, domain experts, let's say it's quantum chemists, uh, developing applications for a quantum computer. They're relying on libraries that mathematicians and computer scientists built in order to target hardware platforms that were eventually built by physicists. and maybe some new job specification called a quantum engineer. All of that ecosystem though is still evolving, and I think it's gonna take a while before it really gets into place.
0: Mm-hmm. Not surprising, and, and I think we forget how <laughs> immature this whole ecosystem is. You know, It's like, hey, there's products on the market that that are doing quantum computing. Shouldn't we be farther than this in terms of some of the functionality for this to go truly mainstream? But
1: <laughs> Well, there's clearly been a, a big push in the last year or so to try and um, bring visibility to quantum computing, I would say especially the hardware. But from my perspective, uh, this is still research-grade hardware. Uh, we're still evaluating it. Um, we have some early demonstrations of uh, how it can be used, uh, for example, in the computational chemistry problems. But the, the long-term um, investments that are needed to bring that hardware up to a performance level where it can actually match, say, a supercomputer Uh, that's gonna that's gonna take some time Mm
0: -hmm. and what to you are some of the most promising uh, application areas again quantum chemistry is the obvious one but there are others that are maybe a little bit more surprising talk about where this might appear in both scientific computing and and maybe more valuably at least to push the ecosystem forward uh, in commercial uh, computing spaces
1: absolutely so I see at least three main areas in terms of the applications The first is the physical sciences, like we've talked about, and that overlaps very well with the Department of Energy and Oak Ridge's mission for scientific discovery. But there are two other areas that I think are important. Uh, The first one I will refer to as applied sciences, and this is more of engineering or energy applications. Uh, We see this, for example, using combinatorial optimization to solve uh, resource allocation problems. Uh, That's a a clear uh, challenge when you're, say, trying to figure out where to place, place power plants, or how to route electricity through the grid. Uh, quantum computing may have some advantages, uh, certainly use cases for solving those types of problems. And then the, uh, the third area I'd call out is the data sciences. And for me, this is the area that captures machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, there are some very good indicators at the moment that the ability for quantum computing to uh, evaluate large um, uh, spaces of data um, actually provide some benefit, for example, to training uh, machine learning algorithms. And so I think the, the combination of those three areas provide a, a lot of opportunities in the future for quantum computing to not only impact scientific uh, computing, but then also uh, commercial applications as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, where a lot of the big systems are being built, both in supercomputing and in hyperscale data centers where they have uh, in theory, anyway, <laughs> these massive training clusters for machine learning, which brings up an important point and something that um, I want to spend a little bit of time on. You and your team have worked on developing a model or a sense of power consumption uh, for quantum computing versus standard uh, classical HPC systems. Explain to me what this effort is and what you found, please.
1: Oh, so. Of course, one of the main concerns in developing a, any computing system is the amount of resources that it requires. Uh, if I'm measuring performance uh, for an application, that may be the amount of time that it takes to execute. It may be the amount of memory that the system requires in order to reach problems of a certain size. But then of course, a uh, third concern is the energy consumption uh, of the machine itself. Uh, currently the, uh, the push up to exascale computing is uh, in part constrained by the amount of energy that these uh, conventional processors require in order to to perform calculations. We took an analysis of quantum computing and tried to put it through the same paces. Uh, That is to say, we tried to evaluate what the energy consumption requirements should be for a hypothetical uh, quantum processor. Uh, What we found was pretty surprising. Um, We took just a uh, very simple application Uh, one that's focused on search of an unsorted database there's a well-known algorithm in in quantum computing uh, named after uh, uh, Grover, known as Grover's algorithm in which uh, quantum computing has a square root advantage uh, over uh, conventional methods for for brute force search and so this seemed to suggest that quantum computing should have some performance uh, increased at least in terms of time but the question was well if you add in all of the overhead associated with executing that quantum program and a good deal of this is devoted to maintaining the quantum state and preventing corruption due to errors are you still going to maintain that that type of advantage and of course you have to adopt some kind of model for how much uh, time and energy gets consumed during that that program so what our team did is we actually put together a model of a uh, hypothetical silicon based quantum processor We made estimates based on the physics of how much energy individual operations would consume. Uh, We then compared that scenario to a uh, similar system based on an Intel processor, uh, looking at what's the minimum amount of energy that that Intel processor would require in order to execute a similar brute force search problem. And what we found was, was pretty striking. There was a clear um, separation in the the two uh, systems in terms of the amount of energy usage. Uh, We looked at this uh, trend as a function of the uh, size of the database that was being searched and we just saw that the energy for the quantum system roughly peaked out around 10 megajoules um, on the order of for a database of about 128 bits in size. On the other hand, the the conventional approach based on this single uh, Intel processor Uh, conventional processor actually uh, exceeded 10 to the 22 joules of energy and that that's an important number because 10 to the 22 is about the amount same amount of energy that the entire planet outputs per year so this clear distinction between the amount of energy required to solve this same problem using two different approaches it led some credence to the idea that quantum computing may not only impact time to solution but it may end up impacting the energy Required to generate these solutions as well. Mm. Right.
0: This 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 was a fascinating bit of research too, and and it's hard to say for sure that <laughs> you know you have the quantum measurements right for for what the energy consumption would really be when you look at you know what it takes to implement one of these things. And I think the Intel processor you used right was kind of a lower end non supercomputing uh, Intel chip, like an i seven. Is that right?
1: That's right. And I I certainly agree with your point that the um, our estimates for the energy consumption on the quantum side are very early. Um, We used state-of-the-art models for the the processor and the the principles of operation of that system and we only considered the minimum amount of energy that it would be required, Um, but certainly the actual amount of energy of conventional I'm sorry, of of current uh, quantum computing systems far exceeds these amounts, they simply haven't been optimized yet for for this particular goal and so this has given us some indication that that's a room, um, uh, an area that we can continue to develop in.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, it's it's definitely interesting, no matter what. So what, what is on your plate right now? Uh, you seem to always have these interesting research projects. So when we talked, I think last year, it was around the quantum simulator. Uh, That's exactly that, right. Uh-huh. How, how's that project going? And maybe just for those who haven't read the article that we have on the next platform about that, tell us what that is and what you're using it for now.
1: Yeah, so at Oak Ridge, we have several um, Uh, systems that we make use of for evaluating quantum computing, Uh, we've already mentioned D-Wave, there are uh, other vendors, uh, IBM, Rigetti, Google, IonQ, all of these vendors have uh, interesting platforms that we're we're evaluating. But of course each of these is an experimental system. They um, are subject to the noise and uh, other constraints that go along with that. in an alternative analysis, we're actually using modeling and simulation to better understand how the algorithms we're designing uh, could perform, uh, certainly in the ideal scenario. And so for that, we have um, we recently purchased a, a quantum learning machine from Atos. Um, this is a numerical simulator that provides us not only a back-end that allows us to simulate quantum states, but also provides us a front-end interface for the types of scheduling and um, uh, execution uh, models that are needed in order to just talk about a quantum computer as an actual computer system. So right now I would say that what's probably hot on our our top uh, list of things to work on is the actual operating system for a quantum computer. And this of course includes not only the ability to issue instructions and uh, uh, carry out algorithms, but also the software necessary to manage the resources that go into the development of those types of systems. That's a pretty interesting place to be at the moment. Um, Clearly, we're uh, a little bit ahead of the hardware itself, but it's getting ready for that hardware, which we're hoping is just around the corner to, um, uh, to make the transition over to the applications as quick as possible.
0: Dr. Travis Humble from the Quantum Computing Institute at Oak Ridge National Lab, thank you so much for your time and insight. It's it's always interesting to talk to you. I I never know what you're working on. It's always surprising.
1: Well, thank you, Nicole. It's a pleasure to talk with you, too.
0: And thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care.